Yo, this is episode 9 of the Rise and Fire podcast. I'm Ben Gavlik, and today, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Spencer Jennings, professional 3-on-3 player, one of the deadliest, illest shooters in the world. Spencer, how's it going, my man? Hey, Ben. Good to be back, man. Episode 9 of the Rise and Fire podcast. Let's go. Lots to talk about. First, got to lead off with the most re- recent news. We're recording on a Monday night, and Fred Hoiberg just got fired earlier this afternoon. You know... Pretty terrible start starting five and nineteen. Did he get a fair shot here, or you know, were the Bulls right to fire him this early in the season? Yeah, I think Fred Hoiberg uh, definitely had a fair shot. He was my pick to be the first coach fired this season. Unfortunately, Ty Lue took that claim. I'm not sure if another coach got fired between now and then, but yeah, Fred Hoiberg, it was his time to go, man. Uh, just another five and nineteen for the Bulls, and he's been there since I think 2015, and just. Never really seemed like he had a grip on any of the, any of the rosters, any of the teams. Now, I think in today's NBA, um, you don't have to be a fiery rah rah guy. You see, with, with Brad Stevens, he's very quiet, uh, very poised, but you, he has his grip on that Celtics team. Uh, and Hoiberg is a is, is a quiet guy, and you don't really get much of a read on him. But you just feel like this team is just in limbo all the time, and maybe he doesn't get the same respect from the players that a guy like Ed Stevens gets. Um, and I just I just feel like the Bulls are just kind of going nowhere fast, and they have a, a couple young pieces, and Wendell Carter Jr., uh, Lori Markinen is, is kind of their big piece, and I think that they just want to give these guys a fresh start with a new coach. But that being said, the guy that they brought in, uh, Fred Hoiberg's lead assistant, I'm kind of bo- boiling, I think his name is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hate when a team that's been so bad bring just have you know it's just the stink of the franchise for these last you know five years. They they bring in a guy like Boylan, who's the lead assistant. It's like clean house, get a fresh face in there because it just seems when the lead assistant should have the head coaches back at all time and they should kind of be on the same page doing things together and doing what they like. And it almost seems kind of ratty and kind of sneaky and maybe some stuff going behind their back. You know, I read a couple articles about how he would start practice behind Hoiberg's back. And, you know, granted, I did read that they also were friends, but that's just kind of weird to me. And I wish that I don't, I do not like the new hire. And it sounds like they made him the guy going forward. So we'll see how this plays out. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Right. So the guy's name is Jim Boylan. Don't know much about him, but yeah, it is weird for him to, you know, kind of stab him in the back. And, you know, in his press conference, he was, kind of bad-mouthing Hoiberg, too, like saying like he's going to have more energy on the bench and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm not in love with the hiring. And, you know, but I mean, for Hoiberg, like he had plenty of chances. Like he came in and he just really had no identity from the start. I think his selling point coming into the NBA was like he's going to be offensive-minded. He's going to stretch the floor. He's going to have the team moving the ball, shooting threes, and that just never happened. You know, this year particularly, they're ranked 28th in offense, not very good as well at all and then you know 24th ranked defense in the league so just had no identity no real selling points and that's why he ultimately lost his job so early in the season and you know they I mean they gave him a shot Tyloo was fired like six games in the season Hoiberg gets you know a quarter of a season and you know they just showed no improvement and no real fire and like you said you know coaches don't necessarily have to have that energy on the bench but your team has to especially when you're this poor and they just didn't play with any any energy you know Jabari Parker is a guy that was a big signing this year like two years 40 million and he's playing with so little energy on defense guys like Hoiberg guys that need to keep their job they have to be on those kind of players to you know spark him get him energy and he just wasn't able to communicate with Parker at all this year so 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with the firing. I just wish, like you said, just bringing Boylan, especially if it's a long-term thing, is not a very smart idea. They do need a kind of clean house, start from the bottom, bring someone in, you know, someone that's proven like Vogel or maybe Mark Jackson, something along those lines, because, you know, the same voice isn't going to change the problem here. And to be fair, they have had a lot of injuries this year, granted from not-so-great players, Denzel Valentine, uh, Chris Dunn, Bobby Portis. So you could bring in almost any coach in the world, and they're not going to make the Bulls a contender in the East by any means. But like you said, a good, fresh start going forward is what this team needs. He's had talent in the past with D. Rose and Jimmy Butler and has never been able to motivate, motivate those guys and get a grip on the franchise. So... The Bulls are a big market team, man. They've, uh, you know, they have a lot of pedigree and a lot of history with that franchise. So they need to bring in somebody that uh, that can that can bring the fire back to Chicago. And it looks like the future's bright. Zach Levine's had a nice little start here, even though he doesn't seem like the most efficient scorer. We'll see how he'll actually be incorporated when it comes time to like winning basketball. But Wendell Carter is a really good player, and Laurie Markkinen is another key piece in that. I mean, another interesting name that could be in the coaching conversation next year if they don't stick with this guy is David Blatt, a uh, guy of the Cavs who got fired really early. You know, he went, his overall record was 83-40. and 40. So it'd be interesting to see if he gets a second chance in the league because, you know, it was one stint in the league when he has such a high winning percentage, it seems unfair for him to never get another head coaching job. Yeah, and another similar situation where, the guy under him, Ty Lue, is also kind of seems like on some sneaky stuff, trying to wait, wait, waiting him out for that job. And when LeBron had David Blatt canned, that Ty Lue was just waiting, waiting to take the reins. So similar situation in Chicago. So I'd like to see David Blatt get another chance. Yeah, that'd be cool. And they probably do have another high draft pick approaching. So it'd be cool to see Zion on the situation. Maybe you can fix some of the problems that a coach can't really do anything about. Yeah, we were talking about Zion to Chicago months ago, so let's yeah. see it come to fruition. Let's do it. All right, so moving on to the Golden State Warriors. So a lot of things to talk about with the Warriors. Uh, we could start with KD heating up, Curry is finally back, and then just had a pretty epic game with the Raptors and Warriors. So what do you want to start with here? So, yeah, let's kind of set the scene. You know, the Raptors are playing the Warriors. They're at home. You got Drake courtside in the building. Uh, I think it was a TNT game nationally televised. And it's a duel, and KD has 51 points, Kawhi Leonard 37 points, and the Raptors come out with a huge win in overtime, right? Right. But then you gotta, then then you know you're you're thinking, wow, like the Raptors, man, good win for them, you know, awesome, big pat on the back, protecting home court against the against the dynasty that the Warriors have built. But oh wait, Steph Curry was out. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Steph Curry's out. MVP, two-time MVP. Uh, best shooter of all time. Oh, wait, Draymond Green. Oh, yeah, he was out too. You know, four-time All-Star, whatever it is, defensive, first-team all-defense. Oh, wait, Boogie Cousins also still is going to be coming back this year. So you think <laughs> this team's playing without three All-Stars, MVP, all-defensive teams, probably the, one of the best big men in the league when uh, Boogie Cousins gets back, uh, who I think is going to probably fit pretty well because he's, He's just going to have a, a small role, but be dominant in that role. And so, yeah, a nice win for the Raptors, but the Warriors obviously still have so much firepower coming back. Um, Kate, he was unreal in that game. I mean, some of the threes that he was hitting, and Kawhi, Kawhi playing perfect defense and 
it's just crazy how long and how great of a shooter KD is. So KD's starting to find his stride scoring wise. It's not really surprising to me when he scores, uh, you know, 50 or 40 because he's just such a good shooter and he's so hard to guard, especially if he's going to get 43 minutes, you know, 40 plus minutes and 30 shots for KD is just kind of almost guaranteed to drop 40 because he's such a good scorer. So, um, it was a nice, it was a nice one for the Raptors, but I think that you got to be kind of almost shaking your head that the Warriors with the guys that they had out, Kawhi getting 37, and you're still battling it to get an overtime win. So I don't really know who's that, who's who's that, who that, who that is a true victory for. Right, and it was interesting because Kawhi Leonard at the end of regulation, he had a chance to put up a game winner, and he drove to the basket and instead of trying to put up a layup or try to get fouled. He passes it out to Baca with like .2 seconds left, and Baca doesn't even get a shot off, and Kawhi had no realization that Baca didn't get the shot off because he put his hands up as to celebrate that they were going to win the game, even though Baca's not a great shooter for the perimeter and there's no time left on the clock, so... I think he has a lot to prove as a leader. I mean, not, obviously not as a player. He's, you know, he it looks like he's completely back. He's a top five player in this league, maybe even top two or three. But he does have some stuff to prove as a leader. as his first chance to, you know, be the guy. Obviously, in San Antonio, he was the best player on a championship contending team. Obviously, won a championship. But he was never really considered you know, a leader because Popovich was so in control of that team and other veterans as well. You know, this is this is his chance. This is his team, and it'll be interesting to see if he can prove to be that go-to guy and can turn games around. You know, just with his play and his leadership ability, because we know Lowry isn't that guy for sure. But yeah, back to the Warriors. This is a game that they really did lose. Clay missed a bunch of open threes. He missed like four or five, and he continues to struggle this year from three. And you know, Iggy had a huge turnover in this game. KD. They just had so many guys on him, especially in overtime. They're determined not to let him win the game, get others, make others win the game. But I, I mean, I do think that this is kind of an interesting spot for Steph Curry. Obviously, he's missed a lot of games, but his impact is definitely, you know, you can see in all these games he's missed, Warriors have not been like near that same level. And with him back, he looks like he's, you know, he, he looks like he's back for sure. They took his time to get him full energy and now I think the MVP obviously there's a lot of other contenders up there but if he plays well man he's gonna have a chance for sure yeah I think uh like you said with the with the Warriors struggles and then if Curry can come back and they can go on a huge run here that'll just do so much uh more for the conversation but he can't really miss any more games I mean right. start missing 15 or 18 games you're just not going to be in the conversation because you didn't put in the full body of work which I think is fair I mean, you got a, a part of the game is durability. Part of the game is showing up every night for the 82 game season. So uh, he's he, the only problem is yeah, if he if he nicks that ankle again or tweaks a groin, then he's probably going to be out of that conversation. But this is the time for the Warriors to go on one of the runs. I think Draymond is going to be back soon, so that will probably help them even win more games. Um, but yeah, Curry. Uh, it's his time to to take another MVP and lead them into the playoffs. Um, another great game from just quickly is the I, I hadn't really seen much of Pascal Siakam and he played awesome. I think twenty six yeah. points on like ten shots uh, and super efficient and was doing it on both ends of the court. So I uh, really like what I saw from him and he's going to be a, a good matchup. Somebody that can also help guard the Greek freak. I think it, I think that's going to be the honestly the 
the semi the, the conference finals in the East. So they need as many pieces to throw at at, at John as, as as possible. It was good to see KD finally step up, not just in this game, but the couple games before he had forty and three straight games. And you know, this is kind of what we were talking about in a couple episodes ago: is KD really needs to step up and kind of carry the load, and he finally was able to do that. In these past five games, he's been incredible, averaging 48 games. So we kind of got a taste of what it was like, KD, trying to carry a team. And But now it's cool that Curry's back, and this is even going to be more fun. One thing I wanted to talk about real quick is Clay Thompson. His scoring stats are pretty good, but the shooting percentage from three is down. And the guy that we are talking about a couple episodes ago was Marcus Smart and how poor he was shooting. If Marcus Smart made one more three in the game before, he'd actually have a higher percentage than Clay. Clay's shooting 34% from three, and Smart is at 33%. So it's pretty interesting that Clay has gone off to a slow start, and that can't be good for the league that the Warriors are still able to you know win some games when Clay's cold because that's not going to stay too much longer. Yeah, that is that is not good for the rest of the league because he's definitely going to pick it up here in a stretch where he starts shooting probably 50 Fifty percent, and he'll he'll get that average up to thirty eight, uh, thirty eight plus. I think so. It's just a matter of time. So the league's going to be put on notice. And Steph does so much for for Clay in that regard, man. Like people don't understand how much attention Curry draws. It's like a big grab, big gravity ball of uh, like a black hole. The way he sucks the defense in, and, and it just opens up so much for Clay. And Clay's talked about that, man. He's super grateful to play with Steph. You know, there could be animosity and jealousy. Because Clay is, you know, probably the second best shooter of all time, especially off catch and shoot, and he's very uh, grateful to play with a guy like Steph who gets him a lot of open looks. So look for Clay definitely to, to improve on those percentages here coming up. All right, so moving on to Boston and Gordon Hayward going off for thirty nine and eight off the bench. You know, really impressive performance. And obviously, we don't want to overreact to this. It's just one game. But, you know, what did you see from Hayward? And do you see signs of improvement moving forward? Yeah, I think that's the key word there is uh, do not overreact to this. Um, it's good to see Gordon Hayward take steps back. I think a lot of uh, coming back from injuries is, is just the mental side of things that I can still do this. You've been out of the game a while. You've been watching. And, and it's weird how the mind will play tricks on you. And, and, and there's so many guys that these guys see sports psychologists. And... I think it does affect your 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 mental psyche when you just watch the game for so long and and you maybe don't feel the same physically and it kind of snowballs uh, when you're not maybe physically as ready but you're also not as mentally as ready. So I think that that 30 uh, eight and nine game obviously in only I think 30 minutes was was a huge game for him. So hopefully it can help his mindset. But I'm not ready to uh, start signing off on the Celtics or Gordon Hayward just yet. Um, I think that once you start seeing guys put together consistent game lines uh, night after night, then then you can start to say something. But just one game of 38 and nine uh, is, is 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 great performance, but nothing to write home about. Right, and it was just a hot shooting performance, really. You know, four for five from three, ten for ten from the line. You know, he's not going to get to the line that much normally. So, you're right, probably not good to overreact but I mean, it, he did look a lot better out there and if the shot is going down like a lot of why he struggled is he's just been so cold shooting the ball and you know that's not what he is he is a good shooter from what we've seen in the past so hopefully he can get it going again and I think coming off the bench is going to be good for him because now the Boston and Celtics really have their top five going the starting lineup they've won three in a row and Hayward he's going to have less pressure on him going against second units I think this is going to be good for him moving forward I think eventually of course they want him in the starting line considering how much money they're paying him and the investment they put in him 
But I, for now, you know, the next couple games, you know, 10 to 15 games will be good for him to come off the bench and kind of get his group back. And another thing with the money, like they've already paid him, there's nothing he can do about it. But, you know, comparing him to a guy like Wiggins, he's getting comparable amount of money. At least Hayward, like, moves the ball. At least he plays hard. You know, a guy like Wiggins, if he's not scoring, he's not doing anything for your team. So even Hayward, when he's not scoring, he's dishing the ball. He's trying to rebound. He's playing good defense. So I think he's a good asset moving forward. And, you know, it obviously was just a hot shooting night. But I like what I saw, and I think that it's not going to be too long before we see the old Gordon Hayward that we saw in Utah. Yeah, don't even talk to me about Andrew Wiggins. Uh, he's on my fantasy team, and it, it's like, how can you be that athletic and you know that kind of coordinatedly skilled as a basketball player and just give you nothing from a stat standpoint, night after night after night? And he took a lot of heat in the offseason. You know, guys calling him out saying he had no heart on social media, and he was talking trash back, and he just is a total bum uh, this year. So, I, I, not to, not to, not to have an Andrew Wiggins segment on this podcast, but. Um, yeah, when Gordon Hayward is playing better, the Celtics, they've, they've, they've played a lot better in their last five. I think they've won four of the last five. Um, they're beating teams, I think, considerably. I think 13.6 uh, is scoring margin in those in those wins. And they're, scoring, they're finally scoring the ball more, which I think kind of helps. If you're scoring the ball, it really can help motivate you on defense. If you're just chucking bricks, you know, you're, you're coming back on defense and the momentum of the team's low. So, you know, people think – Offense and defense are not really related, but I always found that I like myself and my teammate. You just have a lot more energy and a lot more juice when you're seeing the ball go through the basket. So they're scoring 117 points per game and shooting the ball better in those wins. So I think if they can start seeing that ball going and start getting Kyrie and Gordon Hayward going, then it will also have a positive effect on their defense as well. It's cool to see all the guys get so happy for Hayward as well. Like the whole water bath thing. You know, it'd be easy for some of these guys like. Jalen Brown rose here. You know, this guy's really taken up their minutes, and they've tried to play Hayward so many minutes above these guys. It'd be easy for them to, you know, kind of be like, you know, this guy or whatever. But, you know, the whole team was happy for him. So it was cool to see that, you know, the team has kind of bought into this whole Gordon Hayward rehabilitation program. I think everyone's rooting for Gordon Hayward to get back. Uh, but it's weird. Like, I was just thinking, I'm sure that the Nuggets will have a similar reaction if Isaiah Thomas comes back and has a big game. But That's I don't true. think that the whole maybe Twitter world or NBA world is really, like, trying, is really rooting for Isaiah Thomas to, to, to come back and have a huge year like they are Gordon Hayward's. Uh, so I think Gordon Hayward, not to say Isaiah Thomas is a bad dude, but he's definitely kind of talked his way into uh, maybe some, some problems in the past. Um, while Gordon Hayward, on the other hand, is just – seems like a humble under a guy who's just trying to get back and play good basketball definitely definitely all right so our next topic of the day is the western conference playoff race a lot to talk about just so many teams up at the top utah jazz right now are the 14th seed and they're only five games back so you know what should we start with do you have you know like a couple locks that you think are going to make the playoffs for sure we don't even have to talk about uh yeah sure so First, I want to talk about the big swing team uh, that we had earlier in the year. I think you were you did you I think you had the Pelicans to make the playoffs, and I had them to miss the playoffs. And right now they're big nine seed at twelve and twelve. Yep. So, do you still like the Pelicans to make the playoffs? Yes, I do. I'm not a hundred percent confident about it, but I feel like. They've had more talent than they have had in the past. I just look at their statistics, and they have five guys that are putting over 15-plus with Eton Moore, Randall, Mirtich, Drew, and AD. So, I mean, I just think 
obviously if they trade Anthony Davis, things are going to change. Obviously, they're not going to make the playoffs. But assuming that they do keep him for the year, I think there's just going to be nights where they overwhelm people when you know AD and Miritich together are going off. And even if they're not, I think they have the ability to you know compete and earn like hard nosed wins where games are low in points. So I'm not the biggest Alva Gentry fan, but they do have the third best player in the league, in my opinion, with Anthony Davis. And I think they figure a way to get it done. I don't predict a high seed, but I think seven to eight seed is where I'd probably have them in. Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say that, I'm gonna say the Pelicans do not make the playoffs. Still, I'm still sticking on my guns on that okay. one. But another another. Are we going to take? Are going to take the Rockets and the Jazz to make the playoffs? Both those teams, or maybe you have one of them in, one of them out, both of them out. So I have the Rockets in and I have the Jazz out. So for the Rockets, I think just James Harden is too good, and Daryl Morey as well. This is this is a crucial year for them because obviously you know last year is the big miss. Obviously they needed to win that game, that game seven. That might be their only chance to ever win a title. But at the same time, you know, they still have a window. Harden's in his prime. CP3 is still a really good player. I think they recognize that, you know, you can't waste Harden in his prime years. You can't waste CP3 when, you know, he doesn't have too many, you know, prime, or not prime, but good years left. So I think Maury's going to make some moves, and they're starting to turn around too. Harden's really playing well as of late. So I do have him in the playoffs. I don't know how high of a seed they will be but i think they're just too good to miss the playoffs but for the jazz i do have concerns even though it's early in the year and you know we were super high on the jazz especially when they had that shootout against the warriors where they lost by like one point on that Jarepko game winner but you know there's just a couple problems with them they just haven't looked like the same team donovan mitchell we turn on guys so quick so i'm not gonna you know tear up Donovan Mitchell, but you know, obviously, he struggled a little bit, especially efficiency. He's still putting up over twenty a game, but he's doing it on like forty percent shooting. And you know, it's just tough being a young player in the league, even when you have like a super good rookie season. It's hard to put up constant production. And he's kind of he doesn't have a sophomore slump, but you know, he's just not playing as well as as he was last year. And Gobert as well, he's taking a step back on defense. And we talked about their depth. We were really happy with all the guys they surrounded with, but maybe we kind of overestimated that because right now they have Crowder starting, and I don't think Crowder's a guy you want starting on a playoff team. I think he's been overrated these past couple of years. So, yeah, I'm just not too big on the Jazz, and I think they're still a really good team, but there's so many teams in the West that could overpass them, so I don't have them in the playoffs right now. Yeah, how about Kyle Korver coming back to Utah? Uh <laughs> in the, I think his nickname might be the White Falcon. They're bringing back the White Falcon for some resurgence for the perimeter shooting. So I think, yeah, this team kind of comes down to Donovan Mitchell. He needs to be more efficient. He needs to be a leader. And he kind of takes some ill-advised shots. And uh, like we talked about, not being a playmaker, I think that's hurt them this year. And, and as you also said, Gobert um, kind of taking a step back on defense. So, the Jazz. I'm gonna die on the Jazz sword, though. I'm not. I'm not turning my back on the Jazz this year. I'm still saying that they're gonna. They're, they're gonna sneak in the playoffs. Um, I told you the Grizzlies right now are at the 60, 13 and nine. I've I've been on record saying that they're not gonna make the playoffs. Right. And uh, I I said that the Lakers. The Lakers had a big week last week. They've won three in a row. Uh, that's not good for my takes either. But we'll see what happens there. Um, the Mavs are a hot team, eight and two. Uh, in their last ten games, so it's uh, but I don't, I do not, I do not see them making the playoffs uh, either. So I'm hoping that the Jazz, 
um, and the Rockets can take those two spots from the Mavericks and the Grizzlies. And other than that, I think that those that the that the other six teams, I think the Blazers are going to get in, the Warriors, the Thunder, the Clippers, the Nuggets, uh, and the Lakers in that eight spot. So um, it's hard to say. It's hard to see that the Spurs are maybe going to miss the playoffs in the first time in how many years? Uh, has to be has to be quite some time. But uh, I don't I don't the Spurs look pretty bad uh, and pretty beat up right now and. I think that they have to look in the mirror and say, man, we need to get a guy in here like Tim Duncan. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge isn't getting any younger, and a, a, they need a piece to go on with DeMar DeRozan. They're not going to get any better for God knows how many years unless they get a high pick. So I do have the Spurs in the playoffs. I still believe in them, but I'll just go down you know, the teams that I think are going to make it for sure. So my locks are only have two locks because I think the West is just so crazy. I have teams that I have high confidence that they'll get in, but – the two teams that I think will get in for sure are the Warriors and OKC. Uh, OKC just because, you know, obviously they have their problems, but they do have two stars. And, you know, they've just been winning games without Westbrook. You know, Paul George is having a career year. He's playing some of the best basketball of his career. And they, they have a lot of pieces with Adams and Schroeder as well. So I think OKC, that's a team that I'd be shocked if they don't make the playoffs. But so my my next six teams, I have Denver, I have the Lakers, I have the Rockets, I have Portland, the Spurs, and the Pelicans. So I think up to Portland, those six teams, I think we can probably agree on that it's just those last two. It's going to be tough. You know, the teams that are vying for those spots are the Spurs, Clippers, Pelicans. Who else? I guess the Mavericks and then the Timberwolves. You know, there's just a lot of teams. And then the Jazz, obviously, as well. That's the team I forgot about. So there's a lot of competition at the bottom, but who would be your bottom two teams besides those six I laid off? The bottom two teams? Right, yeah. That uh, are going to finish at the bottom of the conference? Or just, well, you said you think the Lakers are going to make it, but probably not be a high seed. Is that right? Yeah, I said the Lakers are going to get the eighth seed. Okay, so right, who would yeah. be a couple? I mean, so I listed like six teams, so... I yeah. listed Warriors. I guess I'll take the I'll take the Jazz at the seven seed. Okay. I'll take. Uh, I guess I'll take Houston at the six seed. Okay. And then I'll take uh, the Blazers at the five seed. I'll take the Clippers at the four seed. I'll take uh, OKC at the three seed, the Nuggets at the two seed, and the Warriors at the one seed. Damn, you got the Clippers at the four seed. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, man. The Clippers, they're, they're tough, man. They play hard every night. They play hard every night. Uh, and I actually called the – they got upset last night, I guess, with a, with a Donchinsless uh, Mavericks team. But I just get the feel sometimes, that, you know, after a team lost a couple in a row, uh, you know, if, they, if they've lost a couple hard games, like the Mavericks lost the Lakers in a pretty hard game, they usually – teams come back and they play harder the next night and they're just like, we're not losing, especially at home. Uh, and, and the Clippers got beat uh, probably on, on a game they should have won against the Mavs. But like you said, those teams, that, that if you get, lose a couple of close ones, just the hunger and the energy is a different vibe. And the Clippers have been rolling lately, 8-2 in the last 10. But I had a feeling that they were going to drop that game to the Mavs. But I still like them, man. Uh, I still I still like Montrose Terrell. He just is, is, is so invaluable the way he gets his hand on every single ball, competes every night. And I, I, I love guys like that. And I think that uh, – that a guy like that, and you put him with a bunch of other dogs like Patrick Beverly, Tobias Harris. We, we've we've gone over the Clippers before, but I, I, I'm not hesitating to throw him in at the four seed. 
So for me, the last spot came to the Spurs and the Clippers, and it's just hard for me to bet against Popovich just because so much success he's had over the years, just making the playoffs year after year, especially the last couple of years without you know that core of Duncan, Parker, Ginobili. He's still been able to get it done. And obviously I'm not a huge fan of this roster, but DeRozan has been playing really well, and Aldridge hasn't been quite you know the peak that he was a couple of years ago with Portland, but with Popovich running the show and he's running out of time too. Like, you know, he's not going to be in the league much longer. I think maybe two, three years max. So, I mean, he wants to win obviously from a franchise standpoint, it might make more sense to, you know, lose some games, get a higher draft pick, but Popovich isn't thinking that way. You know, he wants to win now. And for the Clippers, you know, I like this team a lot. I would not be surprised at all. I mean, obviously, it, it doesn't sound that way sometimes. You know, last week I said they wouldn't make the playoffs. I guaranteed that. But uh, I really do like this team. I like their roster. I think they're over-under safe for sure. And, you know, they have lots of depth. We talked about this before. You know, Harold and Boban are two of the most efficient big men in the league combined with so many guards, Lou Williams, SGA, all those guys, you know, Tobias, he recently just won player of the month, which I think is ridiculous, but I mean, it's good for him, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do like this Clippers team a lot, but I think they're just going to fall a little bit short, but I, if they make it, I think that maybe it's a team like Portland or New Orleans that falls out. Probably not the Spurs for me. Man, but the, the West is just so crazy. Like you said, OKC was one of your locks, and if they if they had a bad week, just three in a row, they pretty much drop out of uh, you know the playoffs in the, in the way it looks right now. So um, yeah, I think that you definitely, I think that the OKC and teams like that will definitely make the playoffs. But you know, an injury or um, you know just a bad, couple bad weeks string together, and you're in trouble. Just ask the Utah Jazz. Yeah, let's talk about Denver real quick because one thing I did want to talk about is Paul Millsap. He's turned it around. He just won Player of the Week. It was only two games, but he put up 20 and 10. And he's kind of – he's been a lot more aggressive, I think, in the past couple of weeks. He's been a little passive trying to find his way with – you know, there's so many guys. They've got Jokic, you know, Harris, Murray, all guys that want to put up shots. And Millsap is kind of lost in – the offense and finally he's been able to be aggressive take some threes drive to the rim and he's really kind of turned it around the last five games in particular what do you see of Paul Millsap is it a guy that obviously you have Denver as the two seed so you must think pretty highly of this team right now yeah you know I I, I don't love that Denver pick at the two seed honestly but at the same time it's like who else am I gonna put in there yeah you could go with OKC um, but to be honest, I like Denver's depth more than I do like OKC. So uh, that, that was just kind of uh, not liking any other team too much, and, and kind of liking the Denver Nuggets. So um, I'm not gonna die. Uh, I'm not gonna die on that hill with the Denver Nuggets at the two seed. But um, I do like Jokic, and, and and Paul Millsap has looked good, and he's just a solid player, man. He he was solid in Atlanta. He was really solid in Utah before that. Um, he has a good old man's game back to the basket. He knows how to play. So he's a guy you want on your team come playoff time and somebody that you can throw into and pick a breath and get a bucket um, and step outside and shoot it a little bit. So uh, I like Paul Millsap. And, you know, they waxed the, they just absolutely throttled the Lakers. I don't even think Gary Harris played and they smoked the Lakers last week. Um, I think they won five or six in a row. So that's just solid, man. It's just their thing is, 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 Sharing the ball, playing with good chemistry, high energy, and 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 defensively, just switching those screens. I just think the Warriors are, are a bad matchup for them. 
Um, not to say that they couldn't pick a couple off them in a series, but I think that the Nuggets can, can beat can beat anybody uh, in the league besides the Warriors. So I, I don't love them at the two seed, but I don't hate it either. It takes a while for these guys to get going. Like Millsap just last year, he only played 38 games with Denver because he had an injury. And I feel like we just get too impatient with these guys. Like Hayward, guys are getting on him early. Like he's only played like 20 games, and last year he missed the whole season. So he has no chemistry with these guys. He's never played with them. So, you know, I think it's important for analysts to, you know, just stay patient with these guys. Like there's guys that were sent, giving up on Millsap, and, you know, it literally looks like he's going to make those guys pay and turn it around. And he doesn't have a set game. He doesn't have a game in which the need to day where we need that guy. He's not young like all these other guys who people love to fall in love with all these 20-year-olds. But 20-year-olds don't win playoff games. They don't win playoff right. series. It takes um, a lot more experienced guys. You just don't see that. So it's great to have a bunch of guys with potential. But as you see with so many franchises, that falls apart after a while. So I always be having guys like Paul Millsap on my team. Definitely. Like a team that we didn't talk about that has a bunch of 20-year-olds is the Kings. And they're obviously like in the race right now. We didn't talk about them because they're all probably going to die off soon. But, yeah, it's just hard in today's league to win with 20-year-olds no matter how talented they are. For sure. So, yeah, the Denver Nuggets on the rise, man. Uh, I'm, I'm – I'm buying Denver stock right now. Yeah, got to. All right, so our next segment, a new segment, what's bothering us. So basically each week we'll kind of talk about things that players, coaches, or teams did that kind of pissed us off. You want to start it off here? Is your idea for the segment? <laughs> I'll take I'll take the first what's bothering us segment. Right. What's bothering me is this D-Wade farewell tour and this D-Wade, I'm going to trade jerseys after every game and get my picture taken and he's trading jerseys with Kyle Lowry like really do I really need to see on my TV after my another Miami Heat loss they sucked this year uh of D-Way trading jerseys with Kyle Lowry the whole trading jersey is phenomenon uh it's fine it's a cool concept like I don't I don't mind like you know it, it's cool to have memorabilia in your room of a guy you competed with like that's all great but do it after the season. Do it in the locker room. You don't need to make this whole grand ceremony where you're staked in pitches. Like, the other day he traded Mitchell jerseys with Donovan Mitchell, you know, and he just, Wade took his jersey off, and he gave him a different jersey than the one that he took off. <laughs> like, and I think gave him, like, a fright. Like, it doesn't make any sense. He pretty much just took his jersey off for the photo to act. It looked like he gave the one that he took off. So it's just a huge Nazi act. I think it's a joke. Um, you saw guys who went in soccer. Like I saw it after like the World Cup, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool!" Like guys from different countries, you'll never see, you'll never play in with them again. But uh, you know, Dwayne D- had a great career. Um, obviously, you know, awesome career. But he, he wasn't—he's not like a top five player of all time. Even the even the Kobe Bryant tour, I thought was pretty whack, where they were just getting shelled, and he was going seven for thirty every night, and it was just this huge love fest for Kobe, where he's holding the Lakers organization hostage. But that's a different subject. So I just think the whole thing's a little ridiculous where we have to watch D-Wade exchange a jersey with somebody else on the other team who's not even a great player in itself and uh, watch this whole slobber fest and just be focused on Miami, you know, going out strong and helping Miami get a playoff seed in the East this, this year and, and, and do your whole trading jersey thing in the background and don't make me, uh, you know, watch you trade jerseys with 
a bunch of B-League, B-league guys and uh, so you can boost your ego a little more before you retire. So that was bothering me this week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> D-Wade's still my boy, so it's hard to critique him, but I understand where you're coming from, for sure. especially the Lowry one. The Lowry one, like, what has Lowry done to the lead to Kane? <laughs> D-Way's respect. Jersey exchange. Come on. Like, I can see LeBron doing it with, you know, like a Johnist coming up or, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, like LeBron trading with Steph in his last game or, like, last finals. Like, that's cool. But to trade jerseys every night with these scrubs, come on, man. <laughs> Look, I understand. Uh, for the Mitchell thing, uh, maybe it's kind of like they've been comparable. Mitchell's kind of been the guy that, oh, he's going to be the next D-Wade. Maybe that's something. I don't know. I, I, I get where you're coming from for sure, but it's hard for me to critique D-Wade. He's a guy that I think is going to be underrated when it's all said and done, that people aren't going to look up to him for you know what he's done. Yeah, speaking of that Mitchell thing too, is the Jazz were like down maybe a point, and uh, Mitchell went in there, missed a wide-open right-hand layup. Um, he got the rebound, they fouled, then they're down three. Mitchell gets a wide-open look at the buzzer, literally butt-naked, wide-open, uh, and, and worked that one, too, and then went to, went on to exchange his jersey with D-Wade and do his press stop. So I would have been a little heated after that. I mean, I'd go to the locker room, take a break, and cool off because my team just lost. But, no, let's trade jerseys, and let's have a nice, uh, you know, pat on the back. So, you know, maybe I'm being a little too old school or sensitive about the subject, but, you know, I don't think Russell Westbrook is bricking two shots to win and then exchanging jerseys with D-Wade after the game. That's all I'm saying. I get it, for sure. I'll, I'll go to what's bothering me, personally. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but Andrew Wiggins, I don't want it to be a salty topic for you because I know he's on your fantasy <laughs> team. But uh, this, is, this is something that's bothering me for a while. Obviously, like, the team paid him. It's not that, you know, Wiggins demand this contract, so I can't fault him for making this much money but you know five years almost 150 million you know 30 per year on average and he's playing like this you know right now his season averages you know 15 points per game on less than 40 percent shooting he's shooting 37 percent from the field and this has always kind of been the knock about Wiggins is you know it's like AU basketball all he wants to do is score or try to score he hasn't been able to score this year but at least try to score and you know doesn't play with any heart or you know, defenses, defense has been one of the worst in the league for a long time. And, yeah, man, it's just hard to pull for a guy like that when he just doesn't play hard. And especially against the Bulls was one of, you know, one of the worst games of anyone this whole year. He went 0 for 12, 0 points, 1 rebound, 1 assist or something on Twitter. Someone put up a video. It was like 12 seconds of highlights of Wiggins getting 1 rebound and 1 assist, whereas, like, Cat doing a turnaround with like one second left on the shot clock and he somehow made it that was his one assist of the game so yeah Wiggins there's a lot he needs to do to improve and this is year five for him for year five a lot of guys this is where they make the leap this is where they get it done and Wiggins you know this is the worst year of his career if you look up and down the numbers any kind of saber metrics this is the worst year he's had by a long shot and it's just interesting to see why Minnesota made this kind of deal as someone that really hasn't made tremendous strides since his rookie year, averaging 18 a game. I can think it's kind of like a, I don't, like his third year, I guess he kind of boosted his game. He's averaging almost 24 games, but it was kind of like a similar situation to Zach Levine now, like putting up meaningless stats for a team that's not going to win any games. And then when Jimmy Butler got there, you know, it was the same as always, not scoring efficiently and not doing much else on the court. So, yeah, Wiggins is a guy that's bothered me for a long time and something that, you know, I just want to talk about on the podcast. 
And it's like, what are you doing with your life? Like, all you're doing is get paid to play basketball. You got you get to get massages all day long, ice clubs, you know, hot tub, and work on your game all day long. And you still just dribble hard to your right and shoot a 21-foot pull-up two with a hand in your face every single time. And I don't know what the coaches are telling him. I don't know what his, the, <laughs> what his player development is, is working on, but it's just like, you know, you saw that, that picture that went viral. Basically, I don't know when he, when he was drafted, working out that P3, and he was touching like probably like 11 foot and a half inches on the vertical jump thing. And uh, just goes to show you, man, you can have all that athleticism, but if you don't have a heart and you don't have a spirit and a will about you, um, then it, that can only take you so long. So what's it going to look like when he's three or four years uh, down the line where maybe his athleticism wanes a little bit? If, if this is where we're getting peak Wiggins prime, I don't think it really bodes well for the uh, future when he, when he has a drop-off in athleticism, when he can't make a when he can't make a shot right now. I just under, don't understand why he can't rebound or why he can't play defense. Like He has you know, all the athleticism in the world. He can jump out of the gym. He's fast. He's a guy that should be making such a big impact on the basketball court. And you know, like he said, all he wants to do is you know take mid-range jumpers, jack it up from three, and miss a bunch. Not get to the free throw line, but when he gets to the line, he misses. And yeah, maybe we're being too hard on the kid. He's still super young. Was he like 23? So obviously, he still has room to grow. But this is year five, so you got to make some steps at some point. And if you're not going to make it now. At the beginning of the max contract, when you know, you're, you sign a contract, you're gonna get paid. Maybe it's just about the money, and you know, good for him making that kind of money. But uh, it is very disappointing for a player of his caliber, his potential to you know not make any improvements in his game. Yeah, good for him making that kind of money. But uh, just shout out to the whoever, whoever idea was in the Timberwolves organization. I think he was worth that kind of. Right. Yeah. I think that's part of why Jimmy Butler left, just because Wiggins didn't make any improvements, and the team chose to give him that, give Wiggins that money instead of giving Butler that money. Yeah, that would kind of make me mad too. And you think that after Butler leaving, that Wiggins would pick it up a little bit, but instead, it's like been the opposite, which is just crazy to me. Right. Covington's kind of taking that second scoring role. But anyways, moving on to, or I guess there's one more topic I wanted to talk about is Mario Zonia. Dunking over Giannis and stepping over him. What were your thoughts on that? Did that bother you particularly? Yeah, you know, Mario Hazonia was a guy that I think everyone was really high in in the draft because he kind of had that swag and he, like he talked a lot of he talked a lot of junk when he was coming into the league about how he was gonna you know kind of wreck the league and have a, and you really haven't heard much of him at all of anything. And this is kind of the first Mario Hazonia uh, highlight we've gotten, and he. He dunked on the Greek Creek. The Greek Creek was coming behind him, so it wasn't like he punched it right on him, but it was a nice poster. Um, and the Greek Creek falls down. And I, I applaud the Greek Creek for trying to get back into play and make a make a great block. And uh, of course, Azonia in his one in his one highlight of his career steps over the best player, you know, the, the probably the MVP candidate right now. Uh, steps over him and just totally disrespects him. So I thought that. Uh, it doesn't really bother me because I kind of I kind of like it. I mean, you know, it, it it happens fast and it's in, it's in the moment. So um, he should have gone around him, but at the same time, I think it's pretty funny if you just dunk on someone stepping over him like that, doing that on Iverson. So I thought it was cool. And then I just thought I thought it was weird that Don just said like, next time I'm gonna hit him in the nuts, and the guy's like, wait, are you serious? And he's like, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm dead serious. Uh, which I thought was hilarious. Like, is he really gonna just go up and punch him in the nuts? Like, uh, I would have just liked to say, 
like I'll see you, I'll see him next time and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kill him like instead of just kind of I think maybe there's kind of a culture thing uh, talking about how he's gonna punch Hazonia uh, in the nuts. What were your thoughts? I just so I mean I guess I don't necessarily dislike him stepping over him, but I don't know why Hazonia was so cocky in his press conference because he put up two points in twelve minutes of play. So, I guess that's the thing that bothered me more, not so much the step over, but just his post-game press conferences saying, you know, some cocky stuff about Giannis. Like, he, that was his only points of the game, and Giannis is, you know, a superstar in the league. So, I guess that's the main part that bothered me. But, you know, for Giannis, his reaction, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, like you said, it's kind of a culture thing. He doesn't really <laughs> doesn't know necessarily what to say in press conferences, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> He is funny though. I really like Giannis. I think he's gonna be. I think the torch has been passed to him. That he's gonna be the next guy after LeBron. Yeah, for sure. So watch out for Mario. The hot seat is Mario Hazonia's head and his nuts for the next game. <laughs> Barely. All right. So moving on, we do have some MVP talk. Uh, just because it's quarter of the season has you know approached, and there's a couple guys at top of the MVP race. Who are a couple of guys that you like particularly right now? Yeah, so just talking, I, I I like the Greek Freak, man. I think that the Bucks are uh, going to be a pretty solid team um, all year, and the Greek Freak is just the the man that nobody can stop. Even Shaq said the other day, like that the Superman kid has some. As other guys are just kind of in awe about what he's doing. Um, um, just it's 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 unbelievable, man. He just bullies everybody, and he still can't shoot. But he still scores almost at will, and I love how he plays with heart and fire. I think he's a good leader. So the Bucks right now are the two seed. Um, I think that they will finish probably at the two seed. The Raptors are pretty solid, but I wouldn't give Kawhi the MVP. Um, sitting a lot of back backs and 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 kind of missing games in general. So you can make a case for Kawhi with the Raptors being twenty and four right now. But I still like Giannis uh, as the MVP. Um, and then if Curry gets hot, then you can make a case for him. But he's pretty much and. It, you could, it depends on what the Lakers do with LeBron, but like I said, I'm fading the Lakers. So I'm not going to talk about LeBron being MVP, no way. So, Steph, Steph is the case there, but right now my number one is still the Greek freak. No, I agree with Giannis, and one crazy statistic that I saw a couple days ago is that Giannis is averaging almost 20 points per game in the paint scoring alone. He's at 19 points per game. That's the most since Shaq in the 2002-2003 NBA season. So it's just crazy how much of an impact Giannis has. He's just so fast, so tall, so long that he just gets to the rim at will, and there's really nothing that teams can do. I think he gets away with a lot of travels as well, though. That's a topic for another day. But it's great how Budenhoser has incorporated Giannis, just giving him so much pace, stretching the floor for him, and just letting him go. And I think it's something that, you know, I'm pretty sure that Jason Kidd is just not going to get another job in the NBA just seeing you know, how good this team has been without him. It's going to be tough for Kidd to recover from that. But a couple other candidates I have, you know, Kawhi, he is starting to play more games, so I think he's going to be in the conversation for sure, especially if he keeps up his numbers because his numbers have been incredible, especially the past, past five games particularly. You know, the record right now is 20-4 and fourth Raptors. He's missed too many games to – if the season ended today, he couldn't be MVP. But – you know, if he plays 90% of the games from here on out, that's going to be a really good two-man race. And then, you know, another guy that I really like besides Curry is Embiid. Their record right now isn't there, but he's, his 
statistics right now are Superman statistics. He's like at 28 and 14 almost. So if Embiid can keep this up and the 76ers can turn around a little bit, they, they aren't struggling, but they will need to get a one or two seed for Embiid to win MVP, and that's ne- not necessarily a goal of theirs to get him MVP, but it should be a goal to try to get home court. So if the 76ers can heat up, Jimmy Butler can contribute a little bit more, Simmons can figure it out. I think Embiid's going to be a guy that's going to be in the conversation. Well, right now I feel like it's a three-guy race with Curry as a dark horse if he can get more games in. Yeah, it's crazy how you don't even talk about Kevin Durant with like the last week he's had about MVP, but uh, that's, that, it, 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 I feel like guys like Kim and LeBron do get sold short a little bit in the MVP conversation. Like, uh, I'm sure I don't, I don't think those guys care much anymore. But yeah, I do like the Embiid pick. It, I think it will depend about if the if the 76ers finish above the Bucks, then it would be Embiid instead of Giannis. And if the if the Bucks stay where they are at the two seed, then it would be Giannis over Embiid. So I do I do think the seed will be a play a big factor in in the MVP talk because both of those guys will will continue to put up monster stats. Definitely, definitely. All right, so let's move on to our last segment of the day of the Power Three segment. Today's topic is the worst NBA draft bust of all time. You want to get the first pick here? Yeah, I'll take the first pick. Uh, I think for our generation, for sure. Um, well, it's maybe not even our generation. I'm, I'm getting a little older now. The, the current generation is uh, Anthony Bennett, man. Uh, yeah. Number one pick in 2013. And in 151 games in four seasons, he averaged 4.4 points, 3.1 rebounds. Uh, the teams were terrible, and he was just fat, out of shape, and Coming off of that LeBron pick, I don't think you could have made a, a worse pick than, than Anthony Bennett. I did see that he just made it rain in the G League uh, a couple nights ago. So yeah. maybe an Anthony Bennett resurgence. That's my biggest bust of all time. So that draft was terrible. and it, I mean, it was, still was a surprise that Bennett went over one. Um, Oladipo was the second pick, so that probably would have been the pick there. But if you look at it closer, it wasn't as bad of a draft that you might would have thought. Like, Especially at the top, it wasn't very good. But if you go down, like C.J. McCollum, 10, Stephen Adams, 12, Rudy Gobert, 27th. And the big one was Giannis going at 15. So this was a pretty deep draft. It's just the guys weren't properly evaluated, especially later in the draft. So, yeah, definitely Anthony Bennett, one of the worst draft picks of all time. And maybe you can get a turnaround. He did have a nice little line in the G League. A lot of it was just open threes, just not good defense. So I don't think he's going to be back anytime soon. Yeah, man, and that and then the Krispy Kreme donuts were all, I think, also a big factor. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right, so my next, or my first pick, rather, is Darko Milicic. So when I talk about draft buzz, usually it's, you know, the amount of seasons they play. There's a lot of guys that went in the top five. They only play three or four seasons. Milicic did play ten seasons in the NBA, but he only averaged six points per game, and more of it being a bust, such a bad bust, it was the 23 NBA draft. Or 2003 NBA draft, he was the number two pick, and guys in that draft were LeBron James, Melo, D Wade, and Bosch. That amazing draft. So going number two and just panning out so poorly, it has to be one of the worst picks of all time. For sure, and obviously as a Pistons uh, fan during that era, especially that was uh, that, that one stung with all the talent in that draft class. But uh, I read an article recently about Darko, and I think he's doing pretty well. Uh, he obviously got paid so much money throughout his basketball career. 
I don't know where he lives, like Croatia or Serbia or something, but he's got like a big compound and he lives with his family. And I think he like harvests cherries or something and he just lives a good life. So shout out to Darko Milicic for, even though being a big buzz, I don't think it really bothers him that much from what I read. And it was kind of a cool second act of his life to where, yeah, basketball, like we're talking about, this, it's just a game at the end of the day. And it depends on kind of, you know, what you do with the rest of your life after that. So I was happy to see him not be totally depressed about being a big buzz and, and let it ruin his life. So I think he's had a pretty good uh, good life besides being uh, not so great of an NBA player. Right, and it was the Pistons making the mistake. It's not like Milicic, you know, drafting himself that early. It was the Pistons that really struck out there. And, you know, they were so talented at the time. So, you know, if they added, like, Melo or D-Wade to that mix, it would have been, it would have been crazy. For sure. So, best wishes to Darko Milicic. Rising Fire podcast sends their well wishes. Yeah, friend of the program. Um, my second pick is uh, a guy that you probably know, man. This is I think this guy was an HKIS alumni um, or definitely came through the school. So Benny and I def- both went to HKIS. So this guy, Joe Alexander, yep. number eight pick in 2008 uh, by the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I think uh, maybe has a Taiwan background. Um, yep. And he, Crazy, uh, you, you can talk a little bit more about this after they get done, but yeah, crazy athletic, went to West Virginia, had just like the perfect basketball body, like, you know, 6'8", probably 220, some, 230, 230 pounds, and uh, dominated the combine. I mean, this guy could jump out of the gym, he was strong, he was athletic, he had a nice looking shot, um, and it played, played a really good season at uh, West Virginia, but... Um, just never found his, his niche in the NBA. They also took Luke Mahabute, um as a small forward, so kind of competed with him, and a couple injuries, and his, his career was pretty much over before it began. But Joe Alexander, man, uh, he, 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 looked, he looked good, man. He was all airport team for sure, which means if you're walking in the airport, like you're like, man, that, the, that guy can play some ball. Uh, so just, yeah, feel bad for his NBA career, but – he could he could play man. He just some 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 situations just uh, aren't aren't the best for guys, and it never really worked out for him with injuries and situations. Yeah, so going back to the HKS thing, Hong Kong International School, I never really actually get got to saw him play. I think he was in he left when he was in eighth grade. So when I was watching basketball when I was young, it was always the holiday tournament with the high school players playing. But I think he was at HKS for like two or three semesters and then left to go to Shanghai and then eventually back to the States and then went to WVU. And it's really unfortunate because I feel like he just never really got a shot. The Bucks kind of invested in those other, you know, like you said, Abba Mute. And they just, he never really got a shot. Obviously, injury, injuries play to play as well. But, you know, he only played 67 games in the NBA. I feel like that's definitely not a big enough sample size to just go up on a guy. So it's a real unfortunate situation. And, you know, obviously probably have some bias trying to root for a guy that, you know, came from Hong Kong. But, you know, it, it is unfortunate that he never got really any chance at all in the NBA. Yeah, for sure. Like, when you watch the player, like, man, I, like, he just had a sexy game about him, man. Like, he, he just looked good at the part. And he was super athletic. And, and uh, I was really rooting for him, yeah, just being from Hong Kong as well. And, unfortunately, it didn't pan out. So, hopefully, he can uh, keep keep playing somewhere for the rest of his career. But I wish it would have worked out for him in the league. And he could fly, man. I remember his first year in the league, his rookie year, he wasn't putting out much statistics, obviously. But there was, like, advertisements for him to try to get him in – the dunk contest, they might still be on YouTube. They're pretty funny. But, yeah, it's unfortunate that that never really worked out for him. 
But anyways, my next pick is another white dude, Adam Morrison. So um, he went third in the draft, and he only played 161 games in three seasons. And it just never really worked out for him. He only averaged seven points per game in the league. And uh, maybe he probably wouldn't have been a star in the league ever, but when he tore his ACL in 2007, that's really when it went down. It, it just killed his career. And he had a decent rookie season. He averaged almost 12 points a game. He was fourth in the rookie of the year race. But – yeah, Adam Morrison taking him three overall in a draft. Obviously, you know, not something you want for a guy that only ends up playing three seasons. Yeah, I, I, I was a big Adam Morrison fan. I mean, that was like my peak childhood. Watching him and JJ Redick trade buckets that year uh, when he was at Gonzaga, and I just feel like uh, Gonzaga was a really good setup for him, being on the West Coast and Spokane, Washington, and just kind of being the man out there. But once you kind of got to the league and everyone was kind of more athletic and maybe out of his comfort zone a little bit, I just kind of think that shell-shocked him. And playing for the Charlotte Bobcats at that time couldn't have been probably a worse fit. I think anybody that had gone there that wasn't, you know, like a LeBron-like or, you know, crazy, like that, just a surefire uh, pick, I think would have struggled with that organization. They were so bad. They had so many terrible pieces and terrible uniforms. So, just could never really get his career to that and kind of just became a, a punching bag for jokes and bus talk. So uh, I just kind of had a soft spot for Adam Morrison. So uh, career ended way too soon. I remember for uh, <laughs> the Los Angeles Lakers, it was like in 2010, he was actually on the team. He never played, but he was on their bench. He's like their 15th guy. But there's this funny video that was done by Jimmy Kimmel of like Adam Morrison highlights and it was just him on the bench like high-fiving guys and like pump fist, fist, fist bumps on the sidelines it was just super sad like he, this guy was the number three pick in the draft and he's like the mud chokes <laughs> on Jimmy Kimmel for you know just oh. being in a suit on the sideline on the championship run <laughs> oh man that's a tough visual yeah I feel bad I feel bad for Adam Morrison for sure yeah. alright my last one is uh, number two pick in the 2009 draft uh Hashim Fabit, man. Mm. Uh, this guy just—I don't know what the heck they were thinking with this pick. Um, it was—it was obviously before the the three-point era, so big men were a little more of a premium. Um, seven foot three. He was seven foot three, and he blocked a lot of shots. So people were probably thinking, you know, next Hakeem Olajuwon uh, coming out, but he just never, never really got it got it together. He was pretty much terrible on every team that he was on um memphis houston portland oklahoma city um and then i think after last year he was playing in fun fact he was playing in the five on five b league here in japan and uh i was talking to like one of the managers on the team that the beat was on and they just said that he was just the worst like uh worst teammate and worst basically professional always showing up late always just blaming the translator always just like like just you know messing around in the locker room and before games and uh so good for him to be the number one number two pick in the draft and kind of not be humbled and just kind of still be uh still be a dick about everything so Hashim to be my last biggest bust of all time that was a weird pick like at the time like normally he's like oh Adam Morrison he's gonna fit in this situation it just doesn't end up panning out but the beat was a weird pick at this at the time and I feel like it might have been like that first year that they demoted him right away into the D League or something like he was just terrible right away and just never gave himself a shot so I'm not surprised to hear those stories about him being a terrible professional does not surprise me one bit 
Yeah, I need to beat man. Get it together. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty good in the video game because he was so long. He got it done. But <laughs> as a professional, not so much. So uh, my last yeah, pick. Him and, him and Wiggins will be a good duo over here in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my last pick is Greg Oden. So just a sad story. Obviously, he probably would have been a really good player in the league. Just injuries just never let him, you know, perform in the NBA. And, you know, another reason why it was a bad pick is because he went number one in the 2007 pick, which was the Kevin Durant pick, where I thought that at the time, you know, it's easy to say in hindsight, but in 2007 when he was at Texas, he was putting up like 25 a game in college. And, you know, right now it might not be so much to put up 25 a game, but, you know, back then it was crazy to put up over 20 a game, and he was putting up like 25. So Durant was definitely the pick there. They ended up going with the big guy, which often is the mistake in the draft, going for the big guy. And, you know, it was just a sad story because he probably would have been really good in the league. Just, you know, injuries just always hurt him. Yeah, and I just remember the big thing with KD is like, oh, he's so weak. Like, he can't bench 185. And, uh, you know, it's funny how, how, how little that matters when you can shoot and score like that at seven feet uh, tall. So, very right. man. Yeah, I just never really – like, like he was he was a good player in college but at the same time it, it kind of just shows what the league valued at that time is they wanted like a Tim Duncan like guy um big guy that could control the paint and um I, I never really saw it, 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 he had some big games at Ohio State but I never thought that he was gonna be uh a big guy in the league that kind of fully shifted he saw how good Kevin Durant was and it did not make that old pick HL. Right. We've just never seen a guy like Durant, you know, seven footer putting up that many points and it's like all, all off the dribble to shooting. It was just it was mind blowing that they went for Odin instead of Katie. Yeah, him and Michael Michael Beasley that year. That they, they were two professional bucket getters in college <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So uh do you have any honorable mentions before we end the show? Uh I got uh let me see. Oh yeah, obviously Kwame Brown. You gotta yep. put him in there. Mm-hmm. Um, number one pick in two thousand one, and <laughs> that that kind of goes without explanation. I don't think uh, Kobe. I think Kobe Bryant would agree with me on that one. <laughs> and then uh, I don't want to. I don't want to put my man Jimmer on this list. He was uh, he was a high pick and, uh, in two thousand eleven with the Kings. But I'm not. I'm not calling that a bust. We're not doing. We're we're a Jimmer for that podcast. So Jimmer wasn't a bust. It was just a terrible situation with the Kings. So. Screw the Kings. <laughs> All right, so my two shout-outs, uh, you know, maybe it's unfair, but Fultz obviously hasn't panned out. He's still super young. He's only 20 years old, so it's, you know, he's obviously got a lot of time to kind of figure it out. Uh, my one bust, though, for sure is Johnny Flynn. So that was the Steph Curry draft. He's the sixth pick overall in 2009. And, you know, <laughs> Minnesota Timberwolves picked Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn back-to-back point guards before Steph Curry, who went next. Obviously a huge mistake. Flynn, you know, maybe would have been decent in the league, but he just battled hip injuries. And then a couple years later, later when Rubio finally decided he wanted to come to the NBA from Spain, they kind of gave up on Flynn and traded him, and that was kind of it for him. So never averaged over 10 points per game a season. So that's a sad story for sure for Flynn. And not just Flynn, but Minnesota just striking out on back-to-back picks when Curry was right there for the taking. Alright, so that's all we have for today's episode of the Rise and Fire podcast. Please subscribe, unsubscribe, and then resubscribe again. And please leave us a review. Any kind of criticism, feedback, fan mail is much appreciated. Feel free to hit us up in the DMs or personal message, whatever. 
and we'll get back to you and we'll definitely give you a shout out if you do have any fan mail we always answer any kind of questions on the podcast and we do apologize for the tardiness of this episode it took us a while to get this one edited and we did have some problems on soundcloud but we will be back tomorrow with more nba content as always and you know, lots to talk about especially the chicago bulls and their problems continue those damn two and a half hour practices just ridiculousness but thank you again and we'll catch you next time peace